going to read to you from Matthew chapter 6. This is the, the portion of the Scripture where Jesus teaches us that prayer that we just prayed. I'm going to stop midstream for obvious reasons for the sermon, but it'll feel a little awkward, I'm sure. But I want to start out with, back in verse 5 because we see Jesus framing the Lord's Prayer and coming uh, alongside and, and challenge Him not to be like those pretentious religious elite who um, pray in a pretentious way, nor to be like the repetitive, uh, irreligious, but instead use a model prayer. Listen as I read God's Word to you and with you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, you gathered your people to hear your word to be touched by your spirit. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that we come to you with an openness to what you would have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. In 1994, City Slickers hit the big screen. It's a story about these three city slickers who go on a vacation by themselves without their families to discover what it means to be a man and to bond and all those things. This particular year, they decide to go on a cattle drive that is supervised across the Southwest. Gruff and rough cowboy Curly, played by Jack Palance, guides them, and they set out on this journey. In one scene, Curly and Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, are riding horseback discussing the purposes of life, the priorities of life. Towards the end of the scene, Curly asks Mitch this question. You know what the secret of life is? Mitch says, no, what? Curly holds up one finger. This. What's your finger? What, what your finger, he's asking. No, just one thing. One thing, he says, you stick to that and nothing else matters. That's great, says Mitch, but what's the one thing? Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. One of the great preachers of the late 1800s, Andrew Murray, was in Scotland, gathered with several other Christian leaders and theologians. They were sitting around discussing the problems of the church and the needs that it had. One of the guys who did a fair amount of teaching and training of other Christian leaders and workers had a simple solution. He said it with boldness and determination. Absolute surrender to God is the one thing. In the prayer that Christians recite and pray across the globe and throughout time weekly, Jesus says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Easy to say, easy to pray, 
but probably one of the hardest things for most Christians to live. We're entering into, actually we're in the middle of a series of dangerous prayers. And we've titled them this because these kind of prayers, we believe, based on what the Scriptures teaches, these kind of prayers, when we pray them with vim and vigor, have an effect on our world. The enemy of your soul, Satan, will quake in his boots. Your life could be forever changed. And God just might move heaven and earth because you prayed. This morning, we're going to dive into that part of the prayer that should be part of our prayer life, but not just simply as a disclaimer that kind of covers us in case we ask for the wrong thing. You know, at the end, we ask for all these things, you know, but not my will, your will be done, because that way we can't be disappointed, right? Not in that manner. It's thy will be done, not my will. Often, when we go to the Lord in prayer, if we're honest with ourselves and others, we basically have this spiritualized to-do list that we hand to God. It's kind of like a gimme, gimme, gimme God kind of prayer. And I think he humors us and loves us enough to listen. But Jesus himself submits his will. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, submits himself to his Father. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The cross looms large before him. His stress level is high. He's sweating blood. And as he ponders both the physical pain and the spiritual weight of his imminent crucifixion, he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He asks God to relent, for the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain will be immense. But then he surrenders his will to that of the Father's. In John's Gospel, the 38th verse of the 6th chapter, Jesus tells us this, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And as Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and our teacher and our model, we too are to pray in a manner in which we are submitting our lives, our needs, our desires to what it is God wants. So why is this so very difficult? There are several reasons. I've got four now. I'll probably think of more as we go on. But let me give you four possible reasons. Number one, we want what we want. I mean, we're just self-focused by nature and self-absorbed sometimes. We want what we want. Number two, we think that rather than the Father knowing best, we think we really do know best. Number three, we really don't trust God as much as we think we do. And number four, all too often, our focus is temporal in the moment or the moment of our life. Before we move on, let's define what God's will is, because if we're going to do His will, if we're going to submit to His will, we have to have an understanding of what it is, at least for this sermon. Here's three basic expressions of God's will. Number one, there's God's sovereign will. That's established in eternity past. It's unchangeable, unmovable. It will certainly, absolutely come to pass no matter what. It is often hidden from us, but sometimes we see it in Scripture as foretold. An example, the birth, the death of resurrection of Jesus Christ. He foretold it. It happened 
Nothing could stop it. Then there is his revealed will. That's what we see in in his word, the scriptures. He's given us much of his will right here in these pages that he entrusts to us. His revealed will, will doesn't necessarily have to be discerned in prayer because it can be discerned in simple reading and study. Examples of that is for those who believe in 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells us, it is God's will, speaking to the church, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. We don't have to pray over that issue unless we need help or when we need help, but it's there for us in black and white. Or if you have a red letter Bible, it's in red letters. Actually, that was Paul that said that. Um, Or 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there's his sovereign will, there is his revealed will, and then there's his particular will. That is, that will is something that we search for often of, what is it you want me to do with my life? What is it you want me to do in this situation? How do I minister to someone who's in a struggle? What are the words I should say? Should I confront? Should I love them? Should I just listen? That revealed will is something that is gained through his scriptures, but also by prayer. Total surrender. In the time we have remaining, let's consider what it is not, what it is, and what it brings. What are its benefits? First, total surrender. What it is not. You know, there's a healthy tension in the scriptures of this idea of thy will be done, not my will. And then those, those bold ask, A-S-K, not another word, bold ask prayers. Those mountain-moving prayers that we would come to the throne and, and ask God to do big things. There's a tension between those things. And I would say it's not, those are not antithetical. There's just a tension. I'll come back to that. Total surrender is not easy schmeasy. If it was, we'd all do it. We'd be done with that. In fact, it is impossible in our own strength. But that's the beauty and wonder of God. He calls us to these things that we cannot possibly do, and then he helps us to do it. Total surrender is not a one-time deal. It's a forever continual process. It's not a spectator sport where we just sit back in our easy chair and say, okay, God, you got this. And neither is it hopeless resignation. You know where we wave the white flag. It's never meant to be a passive act, knuckling under the hand of a harsh God. God is not harsh. God is loving. Yes, he's holy, he's just, and he's good and always right, but he's not harsh. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 143 says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Total surrender, then what is it? First and foremost, we have to understand that is the realization that God requires it of us. It is an act of trust and faith. It's an ongoing practice, not just a one-time event. It is where we will find God's favor and peace. And I believe it's a prerequisite to those mountain-moving prayers that he wants us to pray. God requires it of us. Romans 12.1 says it well. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offering our bodies includes a lot more than just our physical body. It includes our emotions, our thoughts, our will, our soul. Our, for our body encloses and encapsulates everything that we are. We are called to offer our whole being as a living sacrifice. Protestant churches don't have altars. We have communion tables because the sacrifice was made once and once for all. But you know what the concept of an altar is, right? That's where the sacrifice was given over and over again. You do know what the problem with a living sacrifice is, isn't it? You know what that is? It's the problem is living sacrifices tend to get off the table and walk away. And that's what we do. You say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. And then a few moments later, we're walking down the street. To follow Christ requires that you and I yield our will to his. Anything less is actually following our own desires with a little bit of Jesus mixed in, hoping it's enough. Total surrender is simply coming to the place where we're in response to his sacrifice, his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, his presence, in sacrifice, in response to him, that we say, I am yours, Lord. Do with me as you will. Let me be an instrument in the music that you're going to play. Let me serve you where you want, when you want, how you want. I am most satisfied, O Lord, in you and you alone, so glorify yourself in me. What then does total surrender bring? What are its benefits? Well, remember the sequence in the prayer your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. There's some kind of a connection, I believe, there that the kingdom of God in which God's reign and rule is perfect and he's in total control comes to earth through people when they let his will be done instead of their own, when we yield to him. His kingdom comes when we surrender to his ways, his word. And his will. Not because we have to, but because we understand he is good and he is for us. He's not against us and he loves us like crazy and he knows better than we do. And so we choose to say, Let your will be done, no matter what, Lord, not mine. In fact, I would propose to you that we will never see the fullness of God working in our own personal life or in the life of his church unless and until we give him his due, which is total. Surrender. You know, whether we're seeking God in that area of His particular will for our life because we have a big decision to make, or we want to know how to relate to somebody else, or, or we're asking, what do I do with my life? You know, maybe for college students or high school students, or maybe your mid career, or as a retired person, what do I do now, Lord, to, to advance your kingdom and to bless others? He's far more likely to give us direction when we desire, as we desire when we are submitted to his will. Romans 12.2 follows Romans 12.1 that we just read. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we say, God, I'm yours, 
I'm open, then discernment often comes in greater and greater ways. My wife and I became Christians as adults, young adults. We had two kids, and it was about a year after that time of coming to know the Lord and His goodness and His grace. I was a religious Presbyterian. My wife was a really good Catholic. I was a bad Presbyterian. There's truth in that. But I didn't really understand the gospel. I don't remember ever hearing it in my home church. I heard, be good, Ron, and I could do that sort of kind, at least on the outside for a while. But we came to know Christ. We came to know His grace. And about a year later, I got to the place where there was this restlessness within my soul. I was in the real world. I had a real job in business, right? That's what I… Anyway, that was a joke about being a pastor. Thank you. So I was in sales. I, I sold women's swimsuits. Jansen, the little diving girl, many of you know that. I had the northern New England territory. And God was good. He changed my life around. It was not perfect yet, but it was on the right track. And my sales were happening. We were blessed in many ways. And one day, I, I just had this restlessness coming. Am I really doing what God wants? I don't know. I kind of, as far as I could tell, got to where I was on my own accord. I made those decisions. I think God's hand was on it more than I realized back then. But I had this restlessness. What is it you want me to do, Lord? So I had read recently about this idea of fasting and drawing near to God and that sometimes He would guide you. So I began fasting. It was on the third day of that fast when I was driving from our home in southern New Hampshire to my showroom in Boston. And I had Christian radio, you know, music going on. Back then it was Sandy Patty or Amy Grant or somebody like that. It was cool stuff for me. And we, I was just having a great time with the Lord. And while I was driving, I just got to that place. Actually, I think he took me to that place where I just said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'll stay working with Jansen if that's what you want. I see benefit in that. Or I'll do whatever you want. I said to him, I'll even go to Africa. Because someone with my lighter complexion thought at that age that was the worst thing you could do for the Lord. Little did I know Africa is a beautiful country with wonderful people. But it was just foreign to me. And it was in that moment that I heard his voice. It wasn't audible, but it might as well have been. Because in my knower of knowers, I knew it was the voice of God. I don't know why. Maybe I was crazy, and he'll tell me later, but I don't think so. And he said, Ron, I want you to be a pastor. And I thought, hmm, I sell swimsuits. <laughs> that, that means quitting my job, selling my house, moving my family, going to cemetery, I mean seminary. <laughs> seminary was really good for me, by the way. I like to joke. And then it turned in my head and my heart, and I thought, Lord, after all I've done, after all the sin that I've committed against you, that you would somehow not only redeem me, forgive me, and turn my life around and do some transformation work, but you would want to use me in that way, I was put back. I got to the office. I called my wife, began to tell her what had just happened, and she told me she already knew. That's not fair, is it? <laughs> but that's how... Wives often are, but that's how God is, because he had told her that months before when she had been fasting and praying, 
and she just put it on the shelf because she didn't know what to do with that. I share that with you not to put a spotlight on me because I'm no more special than anybody else in this room. We're all called to different kinds of things and different kinds of ministry. God calls people to be in vocation, in a vocation that's outside of ministry, so it's not to level that and, you know, up higher and something lower. But I share that story because it happened and because God is that big. He desires to reveal his particular will to you and to me more than we desire to hear it. In fact, that's probably why we don't ask it, because we're afraid he'll tell us. And then what are we going to do? God is good. As a way to come together before the Lord, I picked a prayer that was sent to me that D.L. Moody prayed once, and it's one of those kind of surrender kind of prayers. So I'm going to ask you all to stand, and we're going to read this together, but pray it together as a commitment between you and our good Lord. Use me, my Savior, for whatever purposes and in whatever way thou mayest require. Here is my poor heart, an empty vessel. Here is my sinful and troubled soul. Take my heart for thine abode, my mouth to spread abroad the glory of thy name, my love in all my prayers. And never suffer the steadfastness and confidence of my faith to abate, that so at all times Jesus needs me, and I him. Let's pray. Lord, you love your people. You love all people and desire that all would come to know you by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, for anybody that's in this room that is not yet sure where they are with you, might they move closer to that place of absolute surrender where they would believe and therefore give their life to you and invite your life into them. For those of us, Lord, that are believers, if there's any kind of wrestling within our souls of what it is you want us to do in ministry here at CPC or or in our workplace or in any way, might you work on our hearts that we would first and foremost want to hear from you and that we would do whatever it is you call us to do in faith, with trust, with counsel, but do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.